where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. We are turning next to a scripture about an encounter with Jesus in the synagogue one morning as people came to gather, perhaps just as we have gathered this morning, coming with things on their hearts, with joys and challenges in their bodies and their spirits. Let us hear this story of wisdom. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over, and he said, Woman, you are free from your ailment. And immediately she stood up straight, and she began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured. Do not come on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all of his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. May there be for each of us a word of spirit this morning. In her book, my Body is Not a Prayer Request, Disability Justice in the Church. Amy Kinney talks about the challenges of ableism, especially in Christian community. And talking about living with disability, she has this notable line. She says, the hardest part about being disabled isn't the pain, it's the people. And so through her writing, she shares the stories of the ways that people have treated her as though she is less than because of her disability. She talks about the daily challenges of finding spaces that are accessible for her wheelchair, of the hardships of navigating a healthcare system that is set up to serve insurance providers more than patients. And in all of these things, it becomes clear that it is people and processes that make this life especially hard. 
Despite the differences in the contexts between Dr. Kinney and the woman in the story we just heard, I suspect that the woman in our story might agree with Dr. Kinney's statement. Finally cured of something that Luke only knows as a spirit, the woman isn't first met with joy, but with a challenge. How dare she be healed on the Sabbath? And so she becomes the subject of a debate and the object of shame rather than a person to be celebrated. This isn't the first time that Jesus has encountered criticism for working on the Sabbath. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, he has faced a similarly frustrated group of Pharisees who are first upset because his disciples are picking wheat on the Sabbath to eat, and then they are upset about Jesus doing another act of healing. And I think to explore these stories, it's helpful to unpack that a bit, to unpack the teachings of Sabbath a little. The questions of what is allowed on the Sabbath is a question that seems to have existed as long as the Sabbath commandment has existed. And even today, we know that Jewish communities embrace different teachings about the Sabbath. What Scripture says is that Sabbath is for rest and that the people of Israel should avoid work. That part is clear. What's not so clear in those teachings is what constitutes work and what falls into the allowed exceptions. Those are some big gray areas. <laughs> so you can see where the debate comes in where the synagogue leader may genuinely be wrestling with this question. Different people see the boundaries differently. Dr. Amy Cooper Robertson, who is a Jewish scholar and teacher, talks about this gray area um, with an analogy that I think is particularly helpful. And she describes this discussion as something like the way that we might see those yellow lines that are marked alongside a subway or a light rail station. What we know is that there is danger in getting too close to a moving train. And so these lines have been drawn there to help folks mark the place where they need to pay attention. It is a real issue of safety to cross it, but the exact placement of where those yellow lines go is where the debate comes in. So for the synagogue leader whose job it was to ensure that the community followed the laws, which meant keeping covenant with God, this question of healing on the Sabbath might have fallen within that yellow line. It was a danger zone. Do not cross. Crossing it led to trouble. 
The reason that they would have seen that as leading to trouble is that the Sabbath was given to the people of Israel to remind them that they were free. It was to keep them free. The Sabbath marked their liberation from being slaves in Egypt, along with giving a promise that they would never again be forced to work without rest. Forgetting that meant forgetting who they were, a community of God protected by God. That's the practical element of the rules and the processes that govern communities today. We need our guidelines and our laws and our traditions to keep us centered on who we are. But where the synagogue leader approaches this question of healing on the Sabbath with an eye towards what is allowed, Jesus seems to be approaching it with an eye toward the intention of the requirement, which was liberation. You can probably think of places where that same kind of debate plays out, can't you? Anywhere that there is a policy, there are arguments for making exceptions. It's why organizations occasionally stop and they ask, are our rules serving the intention? Or have our rules become the intention? In this story, it seems that the pivotal moment of this exchange is raised in the synagogue leader's rebuke to the woman. She should have come another day. She's waited 18 years. Why not tomorrow? For Jesus, though, healing and wholeness are always urgent. Jesus puts the person back at the center of the question. And so it's not just about what's right on paper or what's right in theory. It's about what's right for the person in front of him. This may be where we hear some echoes of the rabbit in the story. He takes the time to notice the individual and to ask, what is liberating for her? And along with this physical cure, he offers healing for the community. By centering the person in needs, he puts the whole relationship back in perspective. Several years ago, I remember reading a story about this time of year about a rural Nevada school. They were faced with low graduation rates and high incidence of behavior problems, and they had tried all the things. And so they implemented a new process. A couple months into the school year, teachers were given a list of their students, along with a space beside each name that asked for things like something personal and a story about the child's family. The teachers and the administrators would work together to try to fill in these blanks or to see what kids they didn't know well yet. And as they went through the process, the teachers would note things like, Delaney's family has a pond she likes to swim in. 
Or Sam has four siblings. And then they notice the trends. They could see which kids no one knew much about. They could see the quiet kid who always did their work on time and never caused trouble and also never raised their hand and so was overlooked because they were easy. They could see the kids who were only known for their behavior plans or their intervention schedules. And after several years of doing this and of learning how to share the information and how to get to know the kids, the school found that math and reading scores improved. The graduation rates went up, that behavior challenges went down, and that parents and teachers and kids felt more connected to the school. Talking about this process, one of the teachers said, this isn't just feel-good work. We know through the research that relationships and connections are what keep kids and school. And that example is pressing on my mind and probably on many of your minds and hearts because we have just started school here. But it's not just true of school. It's true of all of our relationships. Marriages thrive when each person in the couple feels seen. Friendships last when we have interest in each other's interests. Church vitality, even, is measured by people's connection and commitment rather than by budget or even size. There is a practical point to this story of Jesus taking the time to see the woman. And we might take away from it this morning ideas about how we can better see the people around us. We might wonder about the places in our own lives, at work or at home, where the rules have become the mission rather than the markers toward it. Those are all worth pondering. But there is also a deeply personal and individual element to this story that I want to turn to. This story reminds us that the God that we know in Jesus sees us and hears us. So along with all the outward wonderings about how this story changes who we are in the world, we might also wonder how it changes who we are with God. As you gather in this space this morning, what is it that weighs you down? Where are the places that you need healing or liberation? And what might it be like to just sit with God and let that weight be seen? So much of our lives is often about keeping on, keeping on, and it's easy to extend that into our prayer lives as well. I find that we often turn readily to prayer for others while forgetting that God also loves us. 
Or we take our shame and our hurt and the myriad ways that others have let us down, and we build our own little interior wall around our soul until we are afraid to be vulnerable even when we are alone. The woman in the story isn't just the object of a debate. She isn't just a talking point as we think about our systems and our needs for justice. She is a way forward. She is a leader and she offers us a path in her willingness to be seen and her desire to let Jesus work healing in her life. Friends, if you do nothing else today, I hope that you will take a moment to simply sit in the presence of God. Let God see you. Let God hear you until you can voice whatever wounds and hopes and dreams it is that you are carrying in your soul. And like the boy in the story and the woman in our scripture, I think then we will find our own way forward. And as we carry that as our intention, I invite us to rise in spirit and offer this song as a prayer. Come, a font of every blessing. <laughs>